Good morning, Merry Christmas, and welcome to this amazing service. I've been just so pleased. This service has been so full of hope and joy already, and that's wonderful because that's what our subject is today. We're going to speak about the hope of Christmas, the hope of Advent. This is the second week in our series called uh, Christmas Foretold, and today, like I said, we're going to focus on the hope of Christmas, and I hope you caught some of the references in the songs we sang, which spoke about the branch of Jesse, the stump of Jesse. So to get us warmed up to the subject of hope this morning, I'm going to offer out, throw out a few jokes that were, in my mind, laugh out loud funny jokes. So I hope you get them. Did you hear about the investigation of Musk? I really hope it is not Elon Gated. Did you get it? <laughs> Number two, <laughs> the babysitter smiled and said, you don't need to rush home, take as long as you want. That was two years ago. I hope she likes being a mom. <laughs> and finally, my favorite, I grew up with Steve Jobs, Johnny Cash, and Bob Hope. Now there's no jobs, no cash, and no hope. <laughs> Please don't let anything happen to Kevin Bacon. <laughs> so. They're funny. They kind of poke fun at the things that we hope for in life, right? A lot of what we hope for is, is kind of silly. Sometimes it can be big things, but it can be things that are uncertain, things that are temporary. But today, we're going to look at a much greater hope. And it's a great topic for Advent, because Advent is a time where it means the coming. We're filled with anticipation, the hope of Jesus coming. And it's something that we, we celebrate hope that is fulfilled at Christmas, and we also look forward to future hope yet to come. So the passage we're studying today is one that personally gives me a lot of hope when things are hard. So what i like to do is read that passage together today. It's from the book of Isaiah, chapter 11, the first three verses. It says, A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord. He will delight in the fear of the Lord. We did a series on Isaiah last year. If you remember, the prophet Isaiah loves to use metaphors about trees. And here in Isaiah 11 is a passage about a tree representing Israel that has been cut down. But we also see a shoot or branch is going to come out of the stump of this tree, uh, which is called the stump of Jesse. So I like this passage for two reasons. The first one is the use of the word Jesse. Most of us are familiar with King David, right? He's the man, most of us heard that story where he, de he defeated Goliath by slinging his, you know, his, his stones out of his slingshot. Um, he be went on to become the most famous and the most accomplished king of Israel. But we may be less familiar with David's immediate family. David's father was named Jesse. Now Samuel, he was the last judge of Israel. He was sent by God to Jesse's household to anoint the next king of Israel. But when he went, he didn't know who it was, who was going to be the next king. When he arrived, he saw that David's seven older brothers were there. And one by one, they passed in front of, of Samuel. And every single one, God told Samuel, nope, he's not the next king. Nope, he's not the next king. And on and on for all seven of them. And finally, Samuel turns to Jesse and he's like, are these all the sons you have? And I think modern day translation would be, are you holding out on me? <laughs> right? 
So finally, he's like, well, there's still the youngest son out in the field. He's tending sheep. His name is David. So David was summoned, and right away, Samuel knew that David was the one whom God wanted to anoint as the next king of Israel. As many of you know, I have a son named Jesse, sitting over there, not trying to embarrass you, honey. Um, we named him Jesse because Jesse means God's gift. After struggling with infertility for many years, he was an incredible, unexpected gift from God. In this story, when Samuel thought all hope was lost, none of these brothers were the next king of Israel, unexpectedly David shows up. God provided the next king of Israel in a very unexpected way. And in my life, when hope ran out to ever have another child through birth, Jesse showed up, and he was an amazing gift to our family. The second reason I love this passage is that it mentions the stump and the branch. When I have time, I don't know about you, but I love to work in my garden, uh, particularly in the springtime. But I love this passage at Christmas time. So it kind of has bad news and good news. Today it was prophesying that very soon, sadly, Israel was going to be cut down to a stump. It was still a nation at the point this was written, but Isaiah was prophesying it's going to be cut down. Because of their unrelenting idolatry and unfaithfulness to God, they will be cut down, swept away, and carried off into captivity to Babylon. Now, Isaiah portrayed the truth of all this by using the image of a dead-looking stump. But despite this, this is why I love this passage, despite this, God is still going to bless them. He did not leave them without hope. He promises that out of this dead-looking stump, a branch will grow. New life is going to come forth. Hope itself will spring forth. And it will, this is a contrast. So he's saying, out of this dead stump, a branch will come. This reminds me, I, used to, I have a rhododendron bush in the front of my house. A couple years ago, oh my gosh, it looked horrible. It was just like all brown, you know, brittle branches. And I just like, I, I got to cut this back. I cut it back so much that one of my kids said, oh my God, Mom, I think you killed the bush. <laughs> and we all thought for sure I totally killed it. But much to my surprise, over these past two years, the bush has actually slowly grown back, grown back. So life actually came out of what appeared to be dead. Excuse me a sec. So what I want to do as we talk about this message is think about it as far as a paradox. If you remember back in the summer, we did a whole series on biblical paradoxes. I, I myself have spoken on how we are forgiven, yet we still are encouraged to confess our sins and that both truths are true if we understand them correctly. So in our passage today, we're going to read about how God promised David that his throne would be established forever. But on the other hand, we also see that David's kingly line was cut off. It was cut off like that dead stump. The Babylonians ransacked Jerusalem. Most of the inhabitants were taken to Babylon, and Israel's kings were no more. So how do we reconcile these two truths? Well, let me look at, look at, there's so many verses that talk about David's kingdom never ending. I'm just going to mention two here. In 2 Samuel, it says, Your dynasty and your kingdom will be secured forever. Before, your throne will be established forever. And then in Psalm 89, it writes, I have made a covenant with my chosen. I have sworn to David my servant. I will establish your seed forever and build up your throne to all generations. So if God promised that he would establish David's throne for all generations, then why was Israel cut down? Why did the Babylonian captivity happen? 
And we go back to that image of the dead-looking stump. So you have to say, why did that happen? Well, that was because of the consequences of their disobedience. God had made various covenantal promises with his people. The covenant promise God made with Israel regarding their earthly nation was actually a conditional one. And we need to go back to Deuteronomy to see this conditional promise. Deuteronomy 28 says, If you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow all of his commands, all these blessings will come on you. However, if you do not obey the Lord your God and do not carefully follow all his commands and decrees, all these curses will come on you and overtake you. So God said that this would happen if they were, did not remain faithful to him. So this is a, steer, a clear statement of condition. If Israel as a nation was not careful to obey God's law, they would suffer the consequences and be overtaken. But there's hope, right? God allowed the tree of Israel to be cut down so that a new tree could spring forth. Brian last week had mentioned that from the very beginning in the garden with Adam and Eve, God had made a promise. It was an unconditional promise that one day a descendant of theirs would crush Satan's head. It was the first promise of a coming savior. And this promise is repeated in various forms throughout the Old Testament. So let's read right now about how God reiterated this promise to Abraham, who was one of the early patriarchs in the Bible. And this promise was given hundreds of years before King David. So in Genesis 22, God promises, it says, In your, and he's speaking to Abraham, in your Abraham's seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So God's unconditional promise that he had previously made to Abraham that out of all his descendants of the earth would be blessed, still remain firm and secure, despite David's kingly line being cut off. So what I want you to do is think about this continuity, okay? So remember, from Abraham came Isaac, from Isaac came Jacob, from Jacob had many sons, one of which was Judah, right? David was from the tribe of Judah, right? And ultimately they led to Jesus, who is the lion of Judah, right? So God is all about fulfilling his unconditional promises, providing continuity over time as his plan unfolds. The promised Savior who would crush the head of Satan is men mentioned in Genesis 3, is also the seed of Abraham, is also the seed of David, and eventually leading to the Savior who would sit upon David's eternal throne. So to go back to our paradox, we need to understand that God's promise to David to establish his kingdom was not a promise that his earthly kingdom would last forever, that he would always have a physical descendant on the throne. Rather, it was referring to the spiritual throne and the kingdom of the Messiah who would come from David's family line in the future. It is this descendant, the Messiah, the branch, who will reign forever in an everlasting kingdom. There are multiple places in the New Testament where we see this seed from Abraham and David being fulfilled in the coming of Jesus. Here are just two of them. The first one comes from the Christmas story in the Gospel of Luke. It says, He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Je Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. And in the book of Romans, it writes, Paul a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. The gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David. 
So what we need to know is what God starts, he always completes. He promised that he would send the Messiah through David's line, and he did just that. And that is really the basis of the hope that we can have. So let's, let's ask ourselves, well, who is the branch that is mentioned in Isaiah 11? What, what can we learn about this branch, what they were going to be like? So let's revisit our passage now. And it says, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. It's interesting to note, at the time when Jesus was born, the royal authority of the house of David had laid dormant for hundreds of years. Our passage does not say a branch will come up from the stump of David, does it? It says a branch will come up from the stump of Jesse. God, through Isaiah, was emphasizing that Messiah would not be coming from a place of prominence. David was very prominent, right? The Messiah would be coming from a place that was not prominent. It is far humbler to say that the Messiah would come from the stump of Jesse than to come from from King David. Now, at the time of Jesus' birth, like I said, there was nothing of prominence left in the house of David. Both Joseph and Mary were from David's line, but he was only a carpenter, and she was a plain young girl. And they lived in a small town called Nazareth, which was not well regarded, right? Do you remember the disciple Nathaniel said, oh my gosh, can anything good come out of Nazareth? So that just shows you the lack of prominence of the house of David at that point. All this supports Isaiah's imagery of the branch coming out of what looks to be dead. But from this passage, we see that the branch that comes from an apparently dead stump isn't just barely alive. It's not just a little twig. It is full of life. It says in our passage that the branch is going to bear fruit. It it was alive. It was healthy. So hope sprung forth from this dead stump. So keeping this passage up, what can we, we see that the Messiah, the coming Messiah, is going to have seven different characteristics. And these are the things that the Israelites were looking for so they could identify when the Messiah came. The number seven in the Bible always signifies fullness and completion. Jesus is the fulfillment of all the Old Testament prophecies and the complete representation of God himself. This could be its own sermon to go through all of these, but just briefly, first, the spirit of the Lord will rest on him. So the Messiah is not just going to have a human spirit, it's going to have God's spirit. Remember, God's spirit descended on him at his baptism. He's going to have the spirit of wisdom. Jesus is perfectly wise in all things. In fact, the New Testament says, Jesus has become for us wisdom from God. He will have spirit of understanding. He could look into people's hearts and see their true state and what was really going on underneath the surface. The Messiah was going to have the spirit of counsel. He was going to be able to guide people in truth. He would have the spirit of power. And we see throughout Jesus' life, as accounted in the Gospels, he showed his might by demonstrating power over nature, over disease, over Satan, and power over sin and death. The Messiah would have the spirit of knowledge. When Jesus came, he knew things that nobody else knew, right? He, he ran into the woman at the well, and he knew that she had five previous husbands. No one told him that. He just knew. He had the spirit of knowledge. And finally, the Messiah would have the spirit of the fear of the Lord, and the word fear is more in awe and respect and submission. So when Jesus came, what was his goal? Jesus himself said, I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. So you can see Jesus fulfilled in this entire passage 
about the branch and what an amazing savior Jesus is and what hope that brings us. So I wanna think for a minute about the genealogies that are in the Bible uh, regarding Jesus and his descendants. So two of the gospels speak about the Christmas story. So if you guys wanna read the Christmas story this year, look, either go to Matthew or to the gospel of Luke. In Matthew's gospel, who's writing to a Jewish audience, he tells Joseph's genealogy and, and he basically goes back, starts with Abraham and goes forward to Joseph. But in Luke, he's writing for a Gentile audience. He's writing for all people. And he traces the lineage of Mary's side. And in that one, he goes all the way back to Adam. So if you read that genealogy, you see Adam. It goes all the way back to Adam. And this is significant because it shows that when Jesus came, he came not just for the Jewish people. He came for all people from the beginning of time. So Luke emphasizes that, that you do not need to be of Jewish descent to follow Jesus as your savior. So where else do we see this idea? So we're talking about something that's looking dead and then life comes out of that. Where else do we see that idea in scripture? Well, it's somewhat obvious, but we see it in the life of Jesus, right? My mind goes immediately to Jesus. He suffered and he, he was crucified in the most horrific of ways. His body was laid to rest in a tomb like this one. All the disciples went into hiding. They were fearful. They were despondent. They were without hope. Jesus was dead. I guess he wasn't the long-awaited Messiah we had thought. But then Jesus arose from the dead, and he conquered sin and death. Hope sprung up from the grave, bringing new life to those who believe in him. So this is just a a visual of the branch springing forth from a dead stump. For all of us who believe in the risen Jesus, who conquered sin and death, for all of us who have taken our sin and given it to God and exchanged it for the gift of eternal life, Jesus, through his spirit, lives in us now. And I, I love this verse in the New Testament from Colossians. It says, God has made, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles. Gentiles is just a word for people who are not Jewish. God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And I love this other translation of this verse. It says, the secret is simply this, Christ in you. Christ in you, bringing with them the hope of all the glorious things to come. So Jesus living in us gives us not a wishful hope, but a confident, expectant, joyful knowledge that we are God's child, that we are being transformed into the likeness of Jesus, and that our future home in eternity will be glorious beyond all imagination. That is Christ in us, the hope of glory. To help us understand this a little better, I'm gonna share with you an illustration that I found um, from Dr. Tony Evans. So here's his story. He says, one year at Christmas time, my wife wanted some wrapped boxes to use for decorations. You guys, any, any of you do that? You have empty boxes, but they're all real pretty and decorated place somewhere. Sometimes you see them in department stores. So she took eight empty boxes and had them wrapped to use as a decoration at our front door. Those boxes sat in front of our house, impeccably wrapped, topped with bows, but empty. I didn't worry about a thief coming and stealing any of the wrapped boxes in front of our house. There wasn't anything in them. A lot of folks are well wrapped but there's nothing going on inside. So I have to ask, is Christ the hope of glory living inside of you? 
Is your heart full of the glory of the risen Savior? Are you well-wrapped on the outside, looking like you have it all together, but perhaps empty on the inside? If you are, I urge you to turn to Jesus. You can ask him to take your dead, empty, and hopeless places. He can take away your sin that has controlled you. And you can exchange all that for his gift of new life inside of you. And this is our only certain hope in life. I'd like to mention two points of application. The first one is trust God for greater hopes. So I want to take us back and look at, remember I mentioned earlier how God had promised David that he would have an eternal kingdom that would be established. So I want, to look, I want to take a look back at that. The whole story is found in 2 Samuel 7, if you want to take time to read that later. But let me summarize it. So basically, we're at the end of King David's life. David was living in a magnificent palace. All his enemies had been put to rest, and there was peace in the land. So he could, he could just die, and like all that stuff had been accomplished. But David said, no, he really had a desire to build a house for God. At that point, there was no temple, and God's uh, tabernacle, his <clears throat> the Ark of the Covenant was dwelling in a tent. And so David said to the prophet Nathan, he said, this isn't right. I'm living in a house of cedar. I'm living in this magnificent palace, and God's, the Ark of God remains in a tent. And he really wanted to build a house for God. But God spoke to Nathan a message that he was to pass on to David. And this was, had both bad news and good news. So the bad news is, God said no to David. He said no to David's hope of building a house for him. And the reason given was that David had shed too much blood trying to establish peace in the kingdom. So David's hope to build a temple was dashed. But the good news came immediately after that. God essentially said to David, but don't, don't worry, I'm giving you a much greater hope than building just an earthly dwelling for me. You will not build a house for me, I myself will build a house for you. Your house will be established forever. So it was a much greater hope. And we see this in 2 Samuel. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. And David understood from that that God was promising that the Messiah would come from his line, a Messiah who will establish an eternal throne. David knew the implications of what God was promising him. He was blown away by this news. He saw that God took his immediate hope of building an earthly dwelling, and he gave him a much greater hope of an eternal dwelling. So let's read David's response. So when God promised him, no, the Messiah is going to come from your line, what was David's response? 2 Samuel 7 again. It says, then King David went in and sat before the Lord. It was like he was speechless. And then he prayed, who am I, O sovereign Lord, and what is my family that you have brought me this far? And now, sovereign Lord, in addition to everything else, you speak of giving your servant a lasting dynasty. Do you deal with everyone this way, O sovereign Lord? My translation of that is, who am I that you would do such a thing for me? He was blown away by God's goodness. This reminds me of infomercials. <laughs> Do you guys know what infomercials are? They were, I think they were more prevalent when I was growing up. But you would see on TV, they're trying to market you something, right? And they get you hooked because they, they're trying to sell you something that looks like, oh my gosh, if 
that's really helpful. I think I need that, right? And you start looking at it carefully, and you start tuning in, right? And they make you think your life will be so much better if you just bought this product, right? How do these infomercials always end? But wait, there's more, right? And you just can't get over it. You can get just not one offer, you can get two offers for the mere cost of shipping and handling, right? And you, you're like, you can't get over what an incredible deal this is, right? So I use this in a humorous way to convey just a bit of what David was feeling when God promised that the Messiah would come from him. David was already grateful for all that God had done for him. He took him from being a shepherd boy to the very king of Israel. He gave him peace from all his enemies. He's living in a magnificent palace. And God was like, you think all that was great? You ain't seen nothing yet. But wait, there's more, right? I'm going to bless your family line for all eternity. Out of your family, the promised Messiah will come. Like, mind blown. This reminds me of the truth of the gospel. Jesus, the branch in our passage, he broke into our sinful world to offer us hope and life. He has forgiven our sins. He's given us eternal life. This truth alone is mind-blowing. But like the additional promise he made to David, God says to each of us, but wait, there's more. He said, you know, for those who have put our trust in him, for those who have received God's forgiveness, he's like, you think receiving my forgiveness and becoming my child was great? You ain't seen nothing yet. These are just a few things, ways that God has blessed us above and beyond. We have received God's spirit who works to transform us to be more like Jesus. We have power over the sin that once overpowered us. We have been adopted into God's family. We have direct access to God through prayer. We have peace of mind knowing that whatever happens, God is on our side working all things together for good. We have an internal inheritance to look forward to that no one and nothing can take away from us. And so many more spiritual promises in God's word. So like David prayed, we too can pray, who am I that you would do such a thing for me? Who am I that you would bless me so richly? We see a hint of this in John chapter 1. It says, from his abundance, we have all received one gracious blessing after another. But also like David, there will be times when God tells us no to our hopes, right? God told David, no, you're not building me a temple. We need to seek God in that no answer and ask him to show us a greater hope. It's a curious thing. When we come to God with our hopes, as time passes and circumstances change, our hopes can morph into something different, into something more glorious. I want to mention my sister Andrea here. For those who don't know you, I have a younger sister, Andrea, who uh, had suffered from breast cancer. And she had her hope, of course, was to be healed from breast cancer. Um, and this was her earthly human kind of hope. These are things that we hope for, but there's no guarantee. But over time, she realized she would likely not be healed of her cancer that had spread, and all of her earthly hope was stripped away. But then her hope changed. It morphed into a second kind of hope, a guaranteed hope, what I call a greater hope. She had joyful, confident expectation of being in heaven with her bridegroom, Jesus, with a fully restored body. 
She loved that song. I couldn't believe we sang it today. In Christ Alone has a verse in there that says, no fear in death, this is the power of Christ in me. And that was her testimony at the end of her life. She had no fear because her earthly hope was transformed into the greater hope of heaven. And she testified to that standing in this very spot on this stage six years ago. And I know her certain hope was fulfilled. So she is in heaven now, free of cancer and with, with her groom. So seeing and appreciating the abundance of spiritual riches that we have in Christ can't help but change the perspective on the situations in life where we feel hopeless. All of us in Christ can have the greater hope. Knowing that we're already blessed spiritually in the richest of ways can lift our eyes above our earthly hopes and place them onto our greater hope, which is Jesus himself and the incredible life he gives us. My second point of application is to trust God to be at work while we wait with hope. Waiting. Nobody likes that, right? This is something we probably all struggle with. Well, in our illustration of the dead stump and a branch coming out of it, you know, a branch doesn't spring, you don't cut off a tree and then the next day you have this branch growing out of it, right? It, it takes a while to form. God's promise to send the Messiah needed time to come to fruition. And this is where we have the verse, which is the theme of our series, Christmas Foretold. In Galatians 4, it says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. So this talks about God's timing and not our timing. From the time of the Babylonian captivity, so the time when Israel was taken over by, by Babylonian and carried away into captivity, until the time Jesus was born, about 650 years had passed. Talk about a long time for God to fulfill his promise, right? So this Christmas season, whatever our hopes may be, there are certain things that we can know for sure. Waiting for our hopes to be fulfilled is an opportunity to trust God. Waiting for our hopes to be fulfilled is an opportunity to allow God to work out his perfect plan in our lives. And waiting for our hopes to be filled is an opportunity for our strength to be, our faith to be strengthened. But I want to read this verse from Lamentations, which gives us and an important caution regarding our hopes. Lamentations 3 says, The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. So notice it says that God is good to those whose hope is in, what, in him, right? So our hope ultimately should not be in the desired outcome that we're praying for, but our hope should be in God himself who oversees all things. And this is critical. So we can hope for something, but we need to hope in God and not in the, the outcome. The other thing this verse points out is that it, it's a good thing to hope in God. Why is this? I believe we see the answer in Isaiah chapter 44. Uh, sorry, Isaiah 64. And we see it's because God is always at work. Isaiah 64 says, Since ancient times no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. So just like unseen activity is happening, so you got this dead tree stump, right, and eventually a branch grows out of it, it, it's, it's not like dead, 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 alive. It, things are, are slowly, slowly, slowly taking place under the soil, and then the thing pops up. 
right? So waiting in our life, it's not an empty, pointless passing of time. It's waiting is the means by which God is working all things according to his purposes. And this alone, this truth gives me a lot of hope when I am feeling frustrated. In, in um, Steve, my husband and I, our married life, um, there was a lot of waiting we had to do. And it was regarding building our family with children. We started off in typical fashion. We had our firstborn son after a few years of being married. But then we experienced years of infertility. And during the seasons, when we went through infertility treatments and later through the adoption process multiple times, <laughs> there were times when we felt like nothing was happening. Especially after my first son was born and we tried to have more kids, it was years and years and like absolutely nothing is happening. I got to a point, honestly, where I'm like, God, just give me one more child. I promise, I'll be content, just give me one more child. Because my, my hope and my desire felt so big and God just seemed like he wasn't working. And I'm like, well, I'll make it easier on God. Just give me one. <laughs> so we couldn't see it at the time. But God was so active. And he was working in all the waiting. He was orchestrating the most amazing set of circumstances to bring four adopted children into our family and even the surprise pregnancy. So all those times we're filling out paperwork or going to the doctors, whatever it was, it looked like nothing, nothing, nothing. But God was busy and he was active in that. So God took our original hope for just one more child and transformed it into way more than we could have ever hoped for. <laughs> we were like David saying to God, who are we that you would bless us so richly? It's just too much, Lord. Now, I'm aware that not all stories turn out this way. Many times, my hopes have not been fulfilled as I would have liked. But we must not lose hope because God is for us. He is on our side, working under the soil, acting for our best in ways that we can't possibly see or understand. He's working all things for our good and for his glory. He may give us glimpses here and there of his quiet working ways, but I think we would have our minds blown if we could see all the ways God was working fulfilling his purposes. And remember, we are called to walk by faith, right? Walk by faith, not by sight. So when you, you may doubt that God is at work, have the faith to believe that he is. Together, let's hope in a God who works behind the scenes or under the soil to produce lasting fruit. So bring your hopes and fears to God. Find peace in the waiting process, knowing that he is actively at work. And also... Invite him to change your hopes into something more glorious if that is what he has for you. Don't be discouraged like if you feel like you hit a dead end. You feel like your feet were cut under you like that dead stump. God is always at work. To wrap all this up, I want to point out that I love the name of our church, which is Hope Community Church. It is a regular reminder that God is our source of hope. He can bring life out of what appears dead. He did this when he rose Jesus from the dead. He did that in the hearts of us who have turned to him in faith. It said we were dead in our sins and he made us alive. And he keeps doing it in our lives when times are hard. Trust God for greater hopes when your personal hopes are not fulfilled. And trust God in the waiting that he's working on your behalf. 
Advent, as I started in the beginning, I'm going to end with the same thought. Advent is a time where we celebrate hope filled with Jesus' first coming, and we look forward to hope fulfilled in the future. So regarding the hope fulfilled, Jesus, the Savior Messiah, he did come from David's line as promised. Jesus is the branch that came out of a stump that appeared dead, bringing new life and hope to all who put their trust in him. But we also have hope yet to come. In the book of Isaiah, we see that the small, the small fragile shoot became a branch, and then eventually, at Jesus' second coming, it turns into a mighty victorious tree. Jesus is the returning Savior who brings everlasting peace and justice to our world. In the same chapter in Isaiah, of where our passage from today comes from, later in the, in the chapter, Isaiah 11.10 says, In that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him, and his resting place will be glorious. The fulfillment of this is seen in the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. Revelation 5.5 says, And one of the elders said to me, Stop weeping. Behold, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, which is David's family, right? The root of David has overcome. So Israel, who was once overtaken because of their sin, is saved by Jesus who comes to overcome. So we not only look back at the hope of the gospel, we look forward to the certain hope of the complete fulfillment of prophecy and restoration of all things. Jesus fulfilling the prophecies for his first coming guarantees the fulfillment of the final prophecies. So hope does indeed spring forth. I'm going to end with this charge that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Rome. He says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, this is our prayer, that we would overflow with hope, and that would be because your Holy Spirit is living in us. And thank you that you have given us greater hope, Lord. You have given us hope beyond our earthly human hopes, but you have given us the greater hope of all the spiritual riches we have in you, and of a future, an eternal life with you in heaven. Even if our earthly hopes are not fulfilled, Lord, we know that you, rich us bless, uh, you bless us richly in every way that truly matters. And we, can, we too can pray like David did, who are we that you would do this for us, Lord? Jesus, what a great saver you are. Help us, Lord, as we long and hope for certain things in our lives. Thank you for always being at work under the soil for our good while we wait. May we trust you more as we place all our hope in you and not our desired outcomes. And may our eyes be set on Christ this Christmas season, for he is Christ in us, the hope of glory.